Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. This is Chelsea, and I want you to create a happy family. I use my background in Western and Eastern medicine, birth, and ancient yogic practices to help the modern mother learn how to live a healthier life and create conscious children. This is your guide to fertility, conception, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and the early childhood years. Are you ready to live the life of your dreams? Welcome to Mystical Motherhood's episode number 16. I'm really excited about this episode because today I'm going to merge science and spirit for you. There's a growing field called behavioral epigenetics, which says that genes can no longer predict our future and we are not we are not victims to our genes. And it's rather our thoughts, beliefs, environment, and food that actually can turn genes on or off within us. And it has nothing to do with our families. And so this really dispels everything that we understand and we've been taught our whole lives and even is being taught in medical schools right now. So in this episode, I'm going to teach you how to apply that to pregnancy, which is actually something no one's really talking about massively right now. But how can you what I want you to leave today with is an understanding of how your thoughts, emotions, and the environment you're in while pregnant and everything you eat and do programs the child within you. So first, we're going to go over what the history of where behavioral epigenetics was discovered, how it differs from our past. We're going to go over some studies um, that slightly prove this, and then I'm going to apply this to pregnancy for you. And this is really what Mystical Motherhood, this entire podcast, is all about. It's about merging the best of science and spirit, the best of the Western philosophies with the Eastern, so that you can live your best life and actually create brilliant children. And understanding behavioral epigenetics is so important to that process. So... If you haven't read the book, Biology of Belief, it is an amazing book by Bruce Lipton, who is soon to be on this podcast. I'm so excited that I booked him as a guest coming up soon in August. According to Bruce Lipton, a cell's life is controlled by its physical and energetic environment and only a small percentage by its gene. He discovered this while he was working on cells in Petri dishes in a lab. When he created healthy environments for the cells, they all thrived. But when he did not, all of the cells struggled. By readjusting the conditions of the cells in these Petri dishes, he could make sick cells well again. This showed him that cells are responsive and they change according to their environmental signals. And so understanding this is incredibly incredibly critical before you become pregnant because it means that the cells within your growing fetus, which are quadrupling at a massive rate every single second, can be programmed. And where there's no no science proving that it applies to the fetus yet, but I'm going to give you a lot of reasons why this makes conscious sense and you should pay attention. So ancient yogis have always known that the fetus is responsive and conscious. And I don't know why we wouldn't think the fetus is conscious. I have a lot of reasons of what we're doing wrong. So just recently, I think up until the 1980s or something, we were doing surgeries on fetuses or on babies 
without anesthesia after they were born. Full, full surgeries, I think some doctors did. And we still do circumcisions. I worked in the hospital. I wouldn't do it. I refused so many times. But they, they hold down the baby and they sometimes they don't ever use anesthesia. And they come, we come, we have this idea that if you're small, <laughs> if a baby's small or a child's small, they're not programmed or they can't feel pain or they're not conscious enough to remember these things. And it's not true. It's not possible to be true because that's where our programming comes from. And specifically in the, inside the, inside the womb. So Yogi Bhajan and all the ancient yogis explained that the womb is actually the most important period of motherhood. And it, because it's the period that your, the child's in direct contact with source inside of you. And you, everything you do and think and say is programming this child. So in mystical motherhood, the book that's available on Amazon, I taught women exactly, you know, how to meditate, how to, um, raise their bright vibration so that they would raise the vibration of the child within them. And Yogi Bhajan taught that you can actually clear the karmic destiny of your baby while the baby's in the womb through intense meditation and prayer. And obviously on our planet right now, there's not a lot of people that want to do that, but if you're listening, you may want to. So, and you also, have to be aware that everything you think and say is programming that child and all your insecurities, your guilt, your shame, and anything that you don't change about yourself is going to be transferred onto that baby in the womb. And now behavioral epigenetics is really proving what ancient yogis have always known. Before I go further into exactly what this means or what science has shown through studies, I want to talk about what I grew up believing and what you likely grew up believing. So I grew up believing that if my grandma had high cholesterol or my, you know, my father had heart disease or somebody was mentally ill in my family, that I would, I'd likely get it. And I, and that brings a lot of fear up in all of us. But what we know now is this isn't the case that it, those genes, like just because you have a susceptibility or those that there's a a faulty gene within your genetic pool doesn't mean that 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 gene will actually turn on and you'll actually get that disease. There are a few genes for sure that if you have them in your genetic or in your DNA, they will likely turn to that disease. But for the most part, very, very, very few amount actually get you actually acquired the disease. So for example, when Angelina Jolie, she took her breasts off because she had a, um, a genetic test that said that she had the BRCA1 gene, which is susceptibility for breast cancer. She didn't, that didn't necessarily mean she would get the breast cancer. That mean, that meant that she had a faulty gene. She had a faulty BRCA1 gene. So she had a susceptibility to get breast cancer. And so she took, because she had that chance and she, she knew that her thoughts, emotions, environment, and diet could turn that gene on. She just wanted to eliminate that chance completely. And so she had a double mastectomy. So obviously we can't all do this and that was her choice and there's nothing wrong with it. It just was, it, it kind of brought the controversy of DNA out into the public for everyone to really think about. 
So does that mean you can go out and get a DNA test or, or that will help you unless you have somebody who really, really understands it? I think it can create a lot of fear. And it also doesn't mean that you're definitely going to get the, you know, the diseases that show up in your DNA. It's just a probability that they, those genes may or may not turn on or become methylated, which is actually the, the, you know, what happens to the genes, the mutations occur. And in, and in, and in genetics, mutations are really, really important because that's how evolution occurred. I mean, the reason why we, you know, when, when there's a huge starvation happening or there's a lack of like in history there was a need for food and as we as a result of that we became insulin resistant and now we can't zip up our pants because of that because we're of this insulin resistance but that came from a mutation in the gene that was needed in order for the survival of the humans at that time and so that's what happens is the environment affects us and changes our genes in a way that makes us be able to survive. So this can be a good or a bad thing. There can be good genes that go bad. What is so interesting about this is that all of the things that behavioral epigenetics is finding isn't really being taught in schools right now, meaning medical schools, nursing schools, and the healthcare providers that are taking care of you are not really being taught that your thoughts, emotions, and environment and food can change your DNA. And we know that if your DNA goes bad, that's where health, you know, your health can go bad. And so it's interesting that they're not really getting to the root of the problem in medical school. And I can tell you from a personal experience is diet was a prerequisite for, you know, beginning my master's in nursing. It was a quick class that was got done anywhere and no one really reviewed it past that. But it's one of the most important concepts of health is what you eat creates so much of, you know, your foundation of of how you live your life. Darwin stated that individual traits are passed from parents to their children. So it's the old belief system of what I was saying that I would get what my grandma got and on onward and onward and it was nature versus nurture. And he believed it would take many, many generations to change hereditary issues and that it couldn't just happen all at once. And what what is so amazing about behavioral epigenetics is that it's saying it can everything can change w- within the blink of an eye. You can have super genes, super powerful health by just changing these, you know, these factors that affect your life. I want to reference a few studies for you so you can see the scientific effect of behavioral epigenetics. And one of the first studies I want to talk about, I'm going to go over three or four. Um, the first one was a landmark study, and it's it's stated in so many books and references. And if you look up behavioral epigenetics, they'll talk about these mice because it's was a huge thing. So in 2003, a study was done on rodents that demonstrated how diet can alter the expressions of mutant genes. A group of mice was born, and they had yellow fur, and they had a very large appetite that made them incredibly obese. Both of these groups of mice were fed fed standard mice food, but one group in particular was given a nutritional methyl um, supplement form. So in this methyl supplement, they were given, this group of mice was given vitamin B12, choline, and folic acid. And then both sets of mice had offspring, baby mice. 
And the mice that were given the supplements grew to have brown fur. So the babies of the mice that were given the supplements were grew to have brown fur and a normal weight. And the, the mother's nutritional state had a profound effect and impact on her children's health. So what this study shows is how each generation contributes genetically to the next. And the group experienced epigenetic changes and a radical shift in their appearance and huge health disparities just by eating this methyl supplement. I know that seems rudimentary and like obvious, but science had never proven it. And so it was an absolute shift in what we realized the potential of our genes. There's another genes with another species. And so you have to also realize that that rodents, what the human human genome project found is that rodents are not much different than our DNA. And that's why studies, I mean, all of our DNA in humans DNA is 99.5% identical. And there's only a 0.5% difference between all of us. And that's what we call disparities or variants in our DNA, right? And mice are not that much different than us. Honeybees. There's a study on honeybees that um, behavioral epigenetics looked into. Honeybees are particularly interesting because they, because of their anatomy and behavior. So all the bees within a beehive are identicals and they're clones of one another. And only a small number of bees become the queen bees, right? We know that there has to be, I don't know how many queen bees per hive, maybe a couple. I don't know that. That doesn't really matter. What matters is why these queen bees turn into queen bees. So they were a, they were a clone bee. They were a worker bee before. And they turn into a queen beans because they consume a different diet called the royal jelly. And it's full of a specific protein that's produced by the clones. And as a result, the queens have a larger abdomen. They have a, a lifespan that's 20 times longer than the, than the worker bees. And they have mature ovaries that can reproduce. The worker bees, in contrast, they have shorter lifespans, they produce stingers, and they have little pollen baskets. And it's only the protein within the jelly that causes the genetic changes. It is not the diet alone that accounts for this difference, but the interaction of the diet with the genomes of these work or of these queen bees. So that's another really interesting study. And then there's more. There's so many more. There's so many more I want to go over. There is research that shows the effect of food on the human genome too. So during, this is a really interesting one. During World War II, the Dutch faced drastic food shortages and all the women that were pregnant during this, this was obviously they couldn't get food in and out of the village. And so they, all the women that were pregnant after that, they actually studied them. And it was a rare study because it's not that often you can study people after a huge famine. And what they found in their health records is that the babies born at the time suffered from some, the babies born after this shortage suffered from severe health problems. Their children were born larger than average And as they grew into adults, they became highly prone to obesity. These effects were more profound for the children that were in the womb during this short that during this famine in the second and third trimester. So again, what this is saying is that malnutrition during pregnancy caused the children to have major health problems and obesity later in life. Malnutrition in any form causes children later in life 
have to have the propensity for obesity because in the womb the child is trained and and almost programmed that there's not enough it's programmed for scarcity and so as a result it's always going to be looking for food in in any shape or ma- you know shape or shape or form later in its life because it was programmed in the womb that there was never enough and so this is this is applicable to women who have don't eat enough during pregnancy and those that eat the wrong foods during pregnancy. So uh, women that are obese that don't actually eat healthy, nutritious food during their pregnancy are shown to have children that are more likely to get type 2 diabetes and become obese. Because the child within the, the woman will take all the nutrients. The child is like a parasite. And it will take it will take the calcium from your bones. It will take the the fat from the, your brain. It will take your mental. And so that's why I, be, I don't know. That's why when you're pregnant and you are feel if you're pregnant and you felt really wobbly and your thoughts are all over and you don't, you don't have a clarity, it could be that you don't have enough nutrition. And so your body's just responding to that. And so this study showed the physical attributes that can happen when there's not enough food. It's really hard for scientific research to prove the emotional and thought-based applications of behavioral epigenetics. But we know from diet that it matters. So understanding all of these things is critical for you to apply to your own life and to your own pregnancy. And this is really not something that anybody's talking about on the level that they should be right now. And I want to get this out there to people. So I really want to go into now is how do we apply this, you know, concepts of behavioral epigenetics to the growth period of pregnancy. And I want you to understand and take away that you can alter and enhance the child in your womb during pregnancy by improving your internal thoughts the emotions that you feel, and the belief systems that you have. And you're like, well, how do I do that? How do I change these generational patterns? How do I even begin to change myself when I, you know, barely functioning right now? I'm just trying to get through my job every day. I'm, you know, well, if you're listening to this, you're likely ready to make some changes. And that's what I do is I help women all over the world change those generational patterns and with self reflection. And I also use, I, I apply Kundalini yoga because Kundalini yoga is one of the fastest things that can help to reprogram your subconscious so that you don't pass these same thoughts and beliefs and emotions and, and patterns, behavioral patterns onto your children in the womb. In our mother's womb, you have to understand we all begin life as a fertilized egg, which is a cell. And within this cell is a nucleus. And within this nucleus is the chromosomes contributed, contributed by your parents. And this egg develops into an adult that is made up of trillions of cells. And within every one of those cells is the same set of genes from the original cell. So we're basically reproducing, reproducing, reproducing. What you should really understand is that these cells have the ability to adjust and change according to their surroundings. That's what Bruce Lipton proved. He proved that if he changed the cells within the Petri dishes, they would adjust to their surroundings. 
And by, so by improving your body, mind, and spirit before conception or during the time of pregnancy, you have the power in you to affect this universal series of events, these chromosomes, this fertilized egg, because each cell is conscious. And that's what science is now showing. And by eliminating the familial patterns that date back many, many generations you can change it all. It doesn't have to be the way we thought before where Dar- you know, Darwin's belief system is it takes so many generations to change. It can stop with you. And so that's what this podcast is all about is how do we heal? How do we do it right now in, in present time? And it's, and it's through looking at all the aspects of, of our life that affect our health. So you also have to look at the cell as a computer, because the cell, like you are a computer and cells within you are a computer and, and it's all programmed by a source outside of itself. And you can think back to each cell in your body or think of each cell in your body as a computer chip. So data can be put in, it can be edited and it can be deleted. And that's, what's awesome about Kundalini yoga is because it's like the, the where science and, and spirit merge in one place and you just have to sit down and allow the meditations to almost go through you like new input into a computer system. So as you would tap, I've said this before, is if you, you know, put a code into your phone and you receive an update, that's what Kundalini yoga and meditation does for your system. So doing that before you can become pregnant or while you're pregnant can help to almost reprogram your body like a computer and help that child so that those programs don't get passed onto the child. And I hope that you're keeping up with all of this because I know I'm, I'm talking about, I'm going to ancient yogic systems and I'm also going forward to, you know, science through history. But what you really need to take away is behavioral epigenetics is showing that cells are responsive. They're conscious and you're naturally going to program or affect cells of your growing child in utero, no matter what. We know you're going to do that, right? It's up to you of whether you're conscious of the data that you input or not. And so the time between conception and birth creates the characteristics and destiny of each child for their lifetime. And if you know that, if you just even become more aware of what you're thinking, where you are, your work environment, and the people that you hang around, the loud noises that are surrounding you, the emotions that you're feeling, the way you talk to yourself, you know, when you're looking in the mirror, the way you talk to the people around you, the way, the way you talk to your husband and the love that you feel for the environment you're in and your happiness level should all be managed. It should all be looked into. It should all be felt. And you need to look at the time of pregnancy as one of the most important times of motherhood because I mean, if you do anything, just do those nine months, right? At least get that right. Maybe the first couple of years, do that too. But the first that nine months, it's almost written off. When I was in nursing school and when I was working on labor and delivery and, and in you know prenatal care units, not one person ever asked or taught me to ask about how the woman was feeling, whether or not, you know, had she really healed her sexual abuse. 
had, is she, if she's in an abusive relationship, is she really getting out of it? Um, what is her level of depression? Is she, is that being solved? Most of the time, all of the, you know, appointments were about, is the blood pressure good? Are her labs in order? Great. She looks like she's gaining weight. Check, check, check out the door. That's a typical doctor. And what you, and since no one's going to come in and tell you these things, you need to start to monitor yourself and you need to understand that what science is saying about the power to program cells right now. And so if you need more help and you don't know where to start, go to mysticalmotherhood.com and reach out to me and ask me questions. I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you through this process. I did it for myself while I was pregnant and I help women all over the world with this. Buy Mystical Motherhood on Amazon. Start to read the blogs because I'm always updating information as it comes through me or to me to get it out to you because this really should be an entire theory within the medical system and I hope to get it there one day. And I am so glad you listened. If you really enjoyed this, please share it with your friends. Please tell your friends that everything that they're eating and thinking and feeling in pregnancy matters. Don't let them write it off. If they're having a bad day in motherhood, reach out to them and share this on Facebook, share this on social media and subscribe if you like this. I look forward to receiving your questions and concerns and thank you so much for listening. I'll have more, more, more amazing episodes coming up soon. 